Are we good this morning? Are we awake now? Dude, I'm telling you. Like, I know one thing for sure. Like, I can always, like, like man, it, it's hard to be at 150% for the Lord all the time, right? That's, that's difficult. And, and I don't think the Lord even asks that of us. And so sometimes, man, you walk in here and you're like, man, I'm, I'm like at about 40% today. Or maybe I'm at 50% today. But, dude, like, like anytime you get a man who loves the Lord or a group of people who love the Lord that can usher you into the throne room of heaven, it'll jumpstart you from about 40 to about 80, right? And I think they do that pretty well here. So, man, I'm just going to sit with the Lord for just a few seconds. And, uh, like, my heart for you today is to connect some dots. And so the reason for that is because in 2005, I came to Christ when I was in, 90, in 1999, and in 2005, a man brought me in for a year, and he started connecting dots for my life through the Word. And when he did, man, like my life opened up to the Gospels. Like, that's where I really learned to worship, because I learned more about who Jesus was. And things that didn't make sense to me or that I had no context for, like, it just opened up. And so, man, my heart for you is that I'll put some dots together and, and make, make them fit for you as well. Is that cool? Knowing that, I can fully screw you up. Yeah? <laughs> like, at any time, I can totally screw you up. And so, I'm just going to sit with the Lord and ask him to not let me do that to you. Right? Is that cool? And so, Jesus, Father, I'm just a flawed man, too. And so, Lord, I would ask in the name of your Son, that as Paul spoke in Ephesians, that, that the hearts of the people would be open so that they may know you more, that that would happen today. That, Father, where I'm in error, that you would stop me or that you would deafen their ears. And, Father, at the same time, like, Lord, where we are accurate and good with your word, that, Jesus, you would open them fully to it that the ears of their hearts would be opened so that they would know you more. And that when we would sing, Father, that, man, they would come back to those foundations of who you are, Lord, and they would worship you. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for this time. God, we thank you for being in the house of believers. God, we thank you for all this. Man, protect me from myself. Protect them from me. And Lord, use me to build them up, to push them into maturity, into unity in the body. God, I would ask this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen, amen. So good deal. So as we start this story, man, of, um, of, of today, as Casey hopped up here and began to dance around, right, like, like it was the story of what you what you said like that's the picture of David when he danced before the people and if you remember that story David danced before the people in his underwear and his wife came out to him and she said you are a fool you know you're the greatest king that's ever lived with the greatest nation under the face of the earth and you dance in your underwear before them like a fool and David said I'll be even more of a fool than this I'll get even more undignified than this before the Lord Man, you got to go, like, why? Like, why does David do that? It's because I believe, man, that David knew the Lord in ways that most people don't. And I'm convinced that the more you know him, 
the more you'll get undignified before him. I'm convinced that the more you know the Lord, the more you will love him. And I'm convinced that everyone in this place has gifts that push us into that, yeah? And so I'm just going to kind of let you know what we're doing. You may go, Chris, this is, this is, this is not good because I had a day planned for other stuff. But at the end of the second service, I'm going to show you a video of which you probably have no context for. Like you probably have no box for it whatsoever. If you grew up like me, like in a Baptist church or a Catholic church, like that's kind of how I grew up, like I would have no box for this. And if I walked into a church on any given Sunday morning and somebody showed it to me, I would probably freak out. Yeah? And so that's why I want to lay some foundation before I show it to you. Like, theology of the Spirit has stretched me and freed me in ways that I think are good. Because at the end of the day, like, the Word speaks for itself. And so if I can just lean on you to do anything, here's what I would say. Like, let the Word teach you. Like, like pause in whatever somebody told you. Pause in whatever you think is right. Pause in what you may believe. And if anything that I say in the Word does not be backed up by the Word, man, throw it out. Is that fair? This first service is laying a foundation for the second service. You don't have to stay for both services, all right? Hear that. But the first service is I'm going I'm to explain the, 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 the footing or the foundation so that wherever you go, you can explain it too. And the second service, I'm going to explain why you matter. I'm going to explain to you, like, why you matter. And that the things that are living inside of you are way bigger than just you. But it's going to be hard to understand the second service without understanding the first. The Spirit of the Lord will have to do something there with the guys in the second service. And so, man, again, don't feel like you've got to stay. But we're just going to kind of lay you a foundation. Is that fair? All right. And so I'm going to use this whiteboard here. And we're going to kind of walk through something. Is that fair? So I'm going to draw a black line here. I don't fall off the stage. All right. Can everybody see the black line pretty good? Okay. Everybody see that pretty good? Okay. So this black line today is going to represent the history of the world. All right. From wherever it started, this black line is the history of the world. Is that fair? All right. So... In Genesis 1, we see, it says the Spirit of God was hovering over what? The earth. And the earth was void and formless. So at the very beginning, we see the Spirit, right? Now, you get into Genesis 2, Genesis 3, Genesis 4, like you begin to see the creation of the world, and you don't hear anything more about really the Spirit. Is that fair? All right. And so as we travel through the entire Old Testament, what we see is, with the Spirit, is that we see Him at specific times on specific people doing specific things. All right? So let's give you an example. Like, when when Joshua takes over the kingdom of Israel, it says the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him mightily. Right? But we don't hear anything else about the rest of the nation of Israel. As the table of nations are formed, we don't hear anything about the Spirit. As, as the story unfolds and Israel becomes this big nation, like still you don't hear the Spirit being involved in people's lives. But what you do see is like in specific places, like give another one, Saul comes up and it says the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily and he began to prophesy, right? Like we know this. We don't hear anything else about the Spirit other than being on top of Saul. 
Traveling down a little bit further, it says David shows up. Spirit of the Lord comes upon him in a mighty way. But we don't hear the Spirit of the Lord being on anybody else, really. As Israel gets conquered, new kings come, like, you just don't hear a lot about the Spirit, although we know at some level the Spirit's been present, yeah? Like, we know this. So somewhere along the line, like, we see the Spirit. He's, he's hanging out here. I'm going to represent the Spirit with green, all right? So in the history of the world, like, the Spirit's involved, but at certain times, certain places on certain people, all right? Is that fair? Does that sound good? All right. Then Jesus comes, right? So Jesus shows up. What's the big thing that Jesus does? I'll give it to you. One thing he does is he dies on a cross, right? And so because you guys have purple, I'm going to outline this thing in purple. The red, we're going to say, is going to represent him dying on the cross for you. The purple stands for that he's been walking down in victory for some time. Fair? Is that cool? Okay. And so we track down just a little bit. Jesus comes out of the grave, and then he appears to his disciples. Are you with me? How many days does he walk around with his disciples? Forty. Fantastic. So for the next 40 days, Jesus is walking around with his disciples. It says that he's explaining things to them, like he's connecting dots for them, things that they didn't understand, like he's connecting for them. Like you'll hear the apostles say, were not our hearts burning within us as Jesus spoke to us, right? And so for 40 days, it says that at least 500 people saw Jesus walking around. Big problem for atheism, all right? Like documented proof, 500 people saw Christ walking around. And so atheism makes up a big play for this to kind of discount it. We're not going to go that direction today. But Jesus meets with them on the day of 40, and he says, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait. I want you to wait because I'm leaving, but I'm sending you something. So go back to Jerusalem and wait. Anybody know how long they went back and waited for? Well, they got 40, but this is past the 40. They go back to Jerusalem for how many days? 10. You got it. So we're at a total of how many? 40 plus 10 is 50. All right? So they're hanging out in Jerusalem on the 50th day. What happens? Pentecost. You got it. So Pentecost comes. All right? What happens at Pentecost? Holy Spirit drops. Like the bomb drops, right? All right? And it says that everybody's confused. Okay? You remember the story in Acts chapter 2? Let me kind of just play it out for you. People begin to start speaking in different kind of languages. People start hearing stuff in their own turn, in their own tongue. Like some believe that they're speaking in heavenly terms. Like things are going crazy. And everybody stands up and says, what's going on? These men must be drunk. Do you remember this? All right, and what's Peter say? Peter stands up, and he addresses the crowd, and he says, listen, nobody's drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. We haven't even had Jewish prayers yet. Like, nobody gets drunk before Jewish prayers. Come on. All right? And then this is what he says. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. 
So Peter stands up and he makes a declaration that something has shifted. Like the whole world has been shifted now. And what he says determines the rest of our future, whether you want to believe it or not. Like he says, the next things that he says, the next five verses, determine your entire future. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Now, Joel was a prophet from the Old Testament. We're hundreds of years past Joel's death. And he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. And so Peter just makes a declaration. He says, man, there's a shift that's come. Like no longer are we living in the old, like something new is here. And so if I'm going to draw this out for you, here's what I'm going to put. He says, in the last days. Is that what he said? Got your Bibles? He says, got to check me. He says, in the last days. Right? So I'm going to call this the last days. That's what he says. He says, in the last days, he says, the Spirit will be poured out on all people. Men will dream dreams. People will prophesy. He says, the young and the old, even the servants, will know this. Meaning from the greatest to the richest, to the lowest to the poorest, like all people will know this. And the Spirit will be poured out on all of them. And so if I'm drawing my picture here, Pentecost comes and the Spirit falls. Can we agree on that? And the Spirit goes from operating like this to operating like this. Is that fair? Jesus tells us in John 15, he says, man, listen, this temple that we're walking by, it's going to hit the ground one day. And when it hits the ground, listen, anyone who wants to be attached to me will find salvation. The temple will no longer be your place of worship because anyone who wants to connect themselves to the vine, which I am him, will know me. And he's talking about this day. He's like, this is when the Spirit comes to live in anybody who wants him. Like he comes and he does this. Instead of being on specific people at specific time, he comes and he begins to work in a different way. Like he begins to empower people to come and live inside them. But Peter's not done yet. Like this is where I think we kind of get messed up because we only see this. And Peter goes on because he's not done with his prophecy. And he says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I don't know how many times we've read that, but Peter's shifting here. Like Peter's no longer talking about this, right? What's Peter talking about when he says, hey, there's going to come a time where you're going to see wonders in heaven, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke, when the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood? Like what's he talking about? Come on. What's he talking about? He says, all this is going to happen before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. What's he talking about? Talking about Jesus coming back. Like He shifts here. 
He's like, listen, there's going to be a great and glorious day when Christ returns, and everyone who calls on his name will be saved. Yeah? You tracking? And so Paul moves on a little bit further, and he says, listen, there's coming another time, even past this. This is where I think they couldn't see totally clearly because he thought it was coming really fast. And he says, man, there's coming another season of life where the great and glorious coming of the Lord, the great and glorious coming of the Lord will be here. You with me? Now let's talk about this day. What happens when Jesus comes back? It's okay to talk. It's good for you. Somebody throw some stuff out. What do you know happens when Jesus comes back? Trumpets. We just sang about it. You got it. Trumpets blare. What else happens? Man, the dead in Christ will rise. New bodies. Keep going. What else happens? The sheep and the goats are sorted. Yeah, right here. Judgment happens. I'm going to put that in black. Judgment. Keep going. What else happens? This is a great time. Come on, believers. What happens here? Say it again. Yeah. Man, like more judgment comes for those who don't know the Lord, right? Keep on going. Come on. Man, there's unity in the body for real. Man, come on. Keep on going, guys. Man, it's, yeah. Christ will be preached in the judgment day. What happens, after, what happens after this mark of judgment? What happens? Man, New Jerusalem. The millennial reign, is that right? What happens? Keep talking. Millennial reign. What happens to you in the millennial reign? Is there any death in the millennial reign? Nobody dies. Everything, it says that everything that's perishable perishes. But everything that will be made unperishable will live forever. That's why you get new bodies. There's no more sickness. There's no more weeping. There's no more wailing. Like Christ feels everything. In big circles, we call this quorum deo. What it means is that the full presence of the Lord is here and that people walk under his full authority and the full power of the Lord, meaning that's you. That's how you walk. Like Jesus will fill everything. The, the train of his robe will fill the temple. No more gnashing of teeth. No more weeping. No more death. No more cancer. Like all those things that we prayed about this morning will be over with. Like everything that you see that's broken in the world will be made right. Everything that crumbled in Genesis 3 gets made new here. Are, are you tracking with me? Like that's what he's talking about. And so for you and I, like this becomes our end goal. Like when you live here, there's nothing else for you to gain. There's nothing else for you to get. Like you don't hurt people anymore and people don't hurt you. The thing that happens is the full wisdom of Jesus fills your soul. And just like the apostles who say that our hearts melted within us, your heart will be constantly melting at the knowledge of who Jesus is. Does this make sense? That's why he says to me, 
Or that's why Paul says to him, he's like, listen, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. That's his whole thing here. And I think Paul and him are looking up from heaven going, I can't believe the world's still in existence. Like I thought it was coming any moment, right? Here's the story. When you transition from here to here, the spirit became more. But the transition from here to here, the spirit fills all things. Wisdom, knowledge, prophecy, tongues, it fills them all. All right? You, you still tracking with me? So the question becomes is, we don't live here yet. Right? Like, we don't live here. We still live here. Right? Are you with me? So the question becomes is, what do we do? While our souls long to live here, we still live here. And so, is the story for us just to come and die and wait till this happens? Or is there more for us? Like, is there a bigger story for us? And so, here, here's what I want to lay out for you for just a second. Because I want you to be able to teach this to somebody. Because what you believe about what happens here is how you, be, is how you walk. Like, whatever you believe about this part of your life is how you walk your life out. Does that make sense? And so, the question becomes is, like, what do you believe about this? Like, what, what do you believe about this? And so let's just walk into it, okay? Is that, is that fair? Depending on what stories you know, I'm going to give you some more language, all right? This right here is known as the Old Covenant. You know it better as the Old Testament, Right? This is what we call the New Covenant. Some would call this the New Testament. That's why your Bibles are split in two. You tracking with me? There's a fair crowd out there that believes that all the things that happened here, the miracles, speaking in tongues, jail cells flying open, healings, all the miraculous is gone because it was simply a transition period. It was a transition period between the old and the new covenants. All right? Does that make sense? And so these guys, right, Christ followers, will tell you that all of the gifts are now over with because they were only in transition. Right? I will say this. That answers some questions that we all have. But if you are to say that all, that all the gifts have ceased, you've got to be able to back it up, right? And so the question becomes, are all the gifts ceased? Like, are there gifts for you and I in this period? Because what you believe about this transforms who you are. Does that make sense? And so I'm going to explain to you the text of this, of why some believe the gifts have ceased, and I'm going to let you decide if they have or not. Fair? You with me? Because we've got to let the Word teach the Word. All right? And so if you've got your Bibles, I think this one's actually going to be on the screen for you, but we're going to turn into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. All right? So we've got some work to do here. 
I'm going to back up just a little bit. All right. First thir- first chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels. All right. Now, that's already a difficult one. Here's what I plan on doing. I plan on taking some of the most controversial gifts in the second service and walking us through them. All right. If they're, in fact, in play. And so he says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, meaning if I have a language that people can discern, or if I speak in a language that people cannot discern. He says, but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So let's pause in that. All right? In your language in America, you really only have one word for love. All right? But in their context, they've got multiple words for love. And so this word for love means that you will lay down your life for someone else. Does that make sense? So this is the same word with Jesus when the Lord says that he gave up his son for you. Like the reason he gave up his son is so that he knew that you would be worth it. That he said, hey, in this context, I'm willing to give up what I love so that you can win. Like that's what he's talking about here. And so in this story, like with 1 Corinthians 12, like the whole thing about 1 Corinthians is that Paul planted a church and then had to leave it. Like it's a picture of a church started where there's no discipleship. Meaning that people came to know Christ, became spiritual infants, and then went crazy. They began to sleep with one another's mom and dad. Like they began to say, I'm more important than you. Like the whole thing is jacked up. And so it's a lesson for you and I to say that if we choose not to make disciples, then we choose to have a church that's jacked up. If we choose not to take hold of our faith and mature the next one, then we choose to have a church like the Corinthian church. That's what Paul's saying to us. And so in in chapters 10, 11, and 12, he's chastising them, going, I can't believe you guys are acting this way when this is what Jesus said not to do. And so he keeps beating on them, going, hey, here's the thing. Like, the moment that you think that you're more important than the next guy, you've lost. You've lost. He says the truth of it is, he's like, when you think this, this is what you sound like. He said, when you harp, when you act like you're more important, when, you're, when you want to be right rather than love, this is what you sound like. Does that make sense? He says, the only thing that will never fail you, he says that these gifts, if they're in play, he said, they'll fail you. They will full on fail you. But, the only thing that will never fail you is when people are more important than you. Does that make sense? And that's why he says, he says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not care more about others than me, I amount to nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but people are not more important than me, I have gained nothing. Loving people more than myself will make me patient and make me kind. It will not make me jealous and it will not boast. I will not become proud. When I love the church more than I love myself, when I love people more than I love me, I will not dishonor others. I will not become self-seeking and I will not be easily angered and I will keep no record of wrongs. When I value you, More than me, 
I will not delight in evil, but I will rejoice in truth. And I will always protect you. I will always trust. I will always hope in the Lord. And I will always persevere in my walk when you're more important than me. He says, that kind of love will never fail you. But then he goes on to tell you that the gifts will. Because he says, but when you use your gift of prophecy, it can fail you. Now let's walk into what he says here. He says, where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part will disappear. When I was a child and when I was a boy, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became mature, when I became a man, I put those things away. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So this is the text where people go one way or the other. And so it says here, what's it say? It says, man, there's going to come a time when tongues will cease. There's going to come a time when prophecies will fail. Like there's going to come a time when all of these are going to end and this time comes when? When completeness comes. So when completeness comes, tongues stop. When completeness comes, prophecy stops. And so the question becomes is, is completeness here? Like, there are those who will read this text and say, man, the moment that Jesus enters your soul, the minute the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, that salvation has entered you, then completeness is here. Like you're now full. And my question to you is, is that what this means? This, when we use this word completeness, like when completeness comes, because it matters. Like when completeness comes, the gifts stop. So you got to believe what completeness means. Does it mean salvation, like when the Lord has come to live in you, or does it mean something else? And this is when I would encourage you, man, you got to read and let the text teach the text. It says, for now we see only in a mirror, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Here's the question. Who knows you more than anybody? Who knows you more than anybody? Who knit you together in your father's womb? Mother's womb. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't not your father's womb. Yeah, who knit you together in your mother's womb? Jesus did. Who knew your name before the foundations of the earth were laid? Right? Who handpicked you? That's what it says. Ephesians 1 says you've been handpicked before the world was ever created to know him. Who did that? So who fully knows you? Jesus. And what does it say? It says, when completeness comes, I will know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, is there anyone in here who can say that they know Jesus the way that Jesus knows them? Anybody ever met anybody who can say, man, that I know Jesus the way that Jesus knows me? Anybody? I don't even think David could have said that when he danced before him in his underwear. And so here comes the kicker. If completeness comes the moment that you know Jesus, the way that he fully knows you, is completeness here? No. 
When does that happen? According to this chart, like when does completeness happen? Like when do you know Jesus the way that Jesus fully knows you? You got it. So let's think through this. Let's read it again using the chart, okay? It says, self-sacrificing love will never fail you. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For now, we know in part. Then we shall know fully. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put those things away. When I hit full maturity, I put those things away. For now, we see only as a reflection in a mirror. But then, you see face to face. Now, I know in part. Then, I shall know fully. This makes sense to you? Like, I can't read this text and tell you that completeness is here. Because I only see in part. Like, I only know in part. Like, I see as through a mirror, like just as a reflection. Let me give you an example of how this works. Like, one of the things that I have is a gift to teach. Two weeks ago, I've been teaching discipling for like four and a half years. And so on this day, it's Wednesday, like we've been working on sitting with the Lord, like working on abiding for like six months. And so I was like, it's time for us to do some information download. And so they come to the house. I hadn't had time to sit with the Lord. I'm like, man, it doesn't matter. I got this. I can teach this because I got it because I've been teaching it for four and a half years. And you know what played out? As I'm sitting there teaching them without me knowing it, like I began to teach on the apes, the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and I began to teach on more how those things have hurt me and how they are a gift to the church without even knowing it. And everyone in my discipling group left there beat up because all they heard was how the gifts can hurt people instead of their gift to the body. Because right now, I only operate in part with my gift. Does that make sense? And so while the Spirit's alive and well in me, there can be times that I operate out of the flesh in my gift. It's why Paul says, listen, right now I only see as in a mirror. Like it's still foggy for me because there's still flesh mixed with the Spirit here. But one day my flesh will end and I will walk fully in the Lord. And the way that he knows me is when I'll know him. And the reason there'll be no more tongues needed then is because there'll only be one language between me and Jesus. And the reason I'll no longer need the gift of wisdom is because the Lord will be right there making all things known to me. And the reason I'll no more need the gift of healing here is because I'll have a fresh body and that there'll be no cancer that can rip my life apart again. Does this make sense? And he says, but for right now, for right now, man, I only use them in part. But they're in play. Like they're full on in play. I watch them every day being played, being used for the glory of the Lord and being used for the devil's kingdom as well. And so Paul's like, man, here's the thing. He's like, man, it, it, it's foggy. But man, there's a reflection of something greater when I use these. There's a reflection of something greater when I use these. And so like, what's he talking about? Like, what is he, what is he saying? And so I'm going to ask Sherry, if you'll put the gifts of the Spirit up on the screen. And I just want to kind of talk through this for just a second. 
at New City Church, like we believe that these five right here are like ministry offices and that the gifts kind of fit inside of them. Depending on who you read, there's 22, 21 gifts in the word with multiple sub-gifts, all right, if that makes sense to you. And so as you scroll through this list, here's the thing that you're going to see. You're going to see some gifts that totally make sense to you. So like when you see the gift of spiritual leadership, you're going to be like, dude, I want that. Like that's the good one. Like it fits into what we do on Sunday. When you see the gift of mercy, you'll be like, dude, like I know that's how the church works. Like the Lord's been merciful with me, so I want to be merciful with people. Like it fits. But what do you do when you see the gift of miracles? Like, what do you do when you see the gift of tongues? Like, where do you put the gift for the guy who interprets tongues? Right? Like, you're talking to a Catholic Baptist guy here. Right? Like, where do you put prophecy at in this thing? And so here's here's what I've learned. Like, the shepherd in my soul has come to this conclusion. That I can't take two or three and discard the rest of them. Because by doing that, I build disunity in the body. Does this make sense? And so, like, if I believe that the gifts are in play, then here's what i got to believe, that they're all in play. And if they're all in play, then there's got to be a reason why they're in play. And so last week I'm asking the Lord because I don't have the gift of tongues, all right? Never have. I've questioned it my entire life. But as I'm walking through it, I'm like, Lord, like, explain to me why these things are so important. Because I need to know. Because if I'm going to teach on them, I've got to believe and i got to know why they're important. And I'll tell you this. Was it not the Lord who said, ask me? If you lack wisdom, ask me. And I will tell you, man, that he has blown my mind. Like he's allowed me to walk in a whole new kind of freedom. Not because he's given me a gift, but because he's allowed me to understand them. And so what I want to do is I want to take you into this in the next sermon. Like if you want to stay fine, if you don't, that's okay. But I'm going to take one of the most conscious. I'm going to take the gift of tongues. Now that we've established the tongues are in play, like I'm going to take them and explain to you why it's important. Because using the most controversial one will allow you to understand all the rest of them even better. And it'll allow you to walk hopefully in a new way. And maybe it'll connect some dots for you. But here's what I know. They're in play. They are irrevocable for you. Like the minute you put Jesus on, he's given you at least one. Like scripture's clear with that. The question becomes, why? So if I can just push on you just a little bit harder, like if you stay for the second service, here's what I want to say to you. I need you to think bigger that this gift is about you. All right? I need you to think bigger that this gift is used for your enjoyment and to make you feel good. Like that was the problem for me. Like I... I thought this gift was for me. And I think, man, when we walk into this, like it should produce a whole new freedom and whole new empowerment for who you are and for what you do. Does that make sense? Are we okay? We all right here? Okay. Man, and so we're just going to kind of pause in that. All right? I've asked the band to even kind of hold off on the, on the last song. Because we still got, man, some cool things to do with this. So here's the deal. Um, yeah, I think the Lord's saying, Chris, shut up. Is that fair? Is that fair? And so, man, ushers, I think we need to probably take up the offering. 
all right, if that's fair. And uh, man, here's the deal. I'm going to pray for you guys. Don't feel like you need to stick around for the second part of this, all right? I think I record them. You can watch them at home. Um, but like I say, next, next, we're going to take about three minutes of this, and then we're going to take one of the, the controversial gift, and we're going to walk through it. And man, my prayer for you, my hope for you is that through that power of that gift, you'll see the power of your own. And our heart again, man, is to bring you into a place of unity in this body and to let you know that, man, that what the Lord has given you matters. Like it matters. Is that fair? And so Jesus, man, I praise your name for this church, for Casey. Man, I praise your name for the power of your word and the power of your worship here, Lord. And so, Father, I would ask in the name of your Son, man, that you would just continue to move us into this, into a place of unity, to a place of holiness with you. Lord, we would grow our our roots even deeper in you so that we would love you even more. So, Father, you are good, and you are good. Man, hold us accountable to every dime that walks through this door. Continue to grow this church in maturity towards you so that we're not tossed to and fro. Man, keep discipleship at the forefront of our hearts and our minds. Man, and God, continue to be bigger than we could ever even imagine. And everyone in this house said, amen, amen.